we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens. I'm the lead pastor here. So good to have you guys here today. Um, truly, the people that stayed up till 1 o'clock last night, um, those of us that had tickets to the game, um, we were... We were, we, were, uh, we were looking at the watch at 11 o'clock and then at 12. I was practicing my sermon during the second overtime, you know, from section 207. You know, so here's, here's our warning today. Um, our children's pastor was at the game. So if your kids are wandering, it's because of that. Um, our, our, our person running the slides today, uh, it, all the stuff up in front, is, it was at the game. So if she's behind and you can't read the lyrics to the song, she was at the game, and if I'm just wandering off, it's what I do anyway. So, uh, so, but man, man, come on, <laughs> woo! Um, it's just so funny that we cheer so much for the buffs sometimes, and, and we forget that um, that what we just saw was actually more important. <laughs> um, um, how cool is it, you guys, that we uh, that the roof is done? That's one part of all the things that are happening, you guys. It's finally happening. For you guys who have been around for six, seven, eight years, and you know the very beginning of us going, we need a permanent home, and you know we bought that spot out on 96th, and, and then we sold that, and then we bought this, and then we're selling half of this, and we're going to put a wall up, and we're going to move the other side, and it's always been someday, someday's finally here. The roof was the first part of it, and you guys, hopefully by Christmas, we will be in the auditorium on that side of the wall. It still might have curtain walls for phase one of what we're going to do, but we're going to be on that side and, and uh, by Christmas. So it's actually happening, you guys. It's, it's so fun to see it actually happening. Beth is, yeah, we can clap for that. We can clap for that for sure, because it is. Um, Beth is going to give you guys updates throughout. So we're going to, you're going to every single week on, like what she said on the slide, on the, on the uh, video, she's going to have it on the website. She's going to, she wants to give us, be, be communicating with us. You guys, Beth, Jim Candy was my, was the co-lead pastor for a long time here with me. And then he passed that baton on to Beth and then Beth has taken it. And she and the, and the team that she put together to make this happen she has been working her, her working like crazy, and, uh, and we just love it that, that she continues to, to run this thing through the tape and that we're going to make this thing happen. So we love it. That's happening coming up. Um, before I get to my sermon, I got one more thing I want to share with you guys. There's an opportunity that we have coming next summer that you need to hear about. Um, next week, after the services, we're going to have an information meeting about our trip that we're planning for the Holy Lands in June of 2024, Okay. The reason why we talk about it now is because this is when you start kind of um, collecting up some funds and starting to put some funds away to make that to, for you to be able to go on that. Jackie and I had a chance to go to the Holy Lands in, in the late 90s. And I got to admit, when, when the opportunity came up, that wasn't on my bucket list. There was a lot of other things that I want to do besides go to the Holy Land. But then we went and it... it, it it surprised me how much it brought all of the stuff that you read in the Bible, how much it brought it right to the, right to the surface. 
when I'm walking along the Sea of Galilee, and because I got up early one morning and got, went, left our hotel and walked along the Sea of Galilee, and you see this fish floating up, you're going, this was the place, someplace around this, that Jesus told the disciples to throw, the, throw the, the net on the other side of the boat and they caught a bunch of fish. This was the place that Jesus calmed the water. This is where he walked on water. I was about to just go step out on it just to see, and now I thought, no, I won't. But this is where he walked on water. We, we, were, we were around Galilee, and there were little mustard plants, and you could picture Jesus sitting there with a bunch of people and him picking a, a mustard plant and just looking at the seeds. And you guys, you guys, look at this. Faith as small as this can move mountains. I mean, that little, that passage that you read in Scripture, all of a sudden you see it, and it just brings it even more to the surface. With the place that they think um, Jesus died on the cross, the Calvary, they, when, when I was there I, in the church there, I found this little closet, and I found this dirt floor, and I just got bent over, and I'm picking up some of the dirt that's there, and, and through my tears onto the dirt, I'm just going, Jesus, somewhere around here, within about a quarter of a mile of this spot is where he dripped blood for me. And, and so it came to life. And, and I've never read the Bible the same since then. If you have the chance to consider going to the Holy Land, man, at least take the first step and ask the questions, okay? So next week's the information meeting. Just go to that. And if you can't go to that, then contact one of us so that we can talk to you more about the potential for that. And then if there's a window next summer for you to do it, go for it. Man, I, I'm telling you, it changes the way you read the Bible, okay? So, so just consider that uh, for next summer, okay? All right, let's get into what we're talking about today. We are in uh, week five, I think, now of, of this series that we're doing called All the Feels, all the things that we that we bring, that we have throughout our week, the feelings that we have. And a lot of times we come in here, park our cars, and then, you know, even if you were arguing with your kids on the way in here and you're frustrated, you got to leave that in your car and, you know, make yourself all per perfect when you walk in here. But that's not the way God wants us to work. God wants us to bring those feelings in and for us to be able to unpack those and, and, and help us to figure out what's going on, Okay. A couple weeks ago, I started my sermon by showing a video from Ario Speedwagon because I'm going, you can't fight this feeling any longer, you know. And so we, we played a little 80s music for you just to get you in the mood. I thought, why not do it again? 80s music is all about the feelings. Let's show another one. Sing along if you want. That's enough. <laughs> come on. Come on. Man, he was a good-looking dude in the 80s, you guys. Richard Marks. Come on. <laughs> and I just gave you a hint on what we're talking about today, but I won't tell you until, until after we pray. But it's a hint from Richard Marks right there, okay? Um, we talked about the feelings. We talked about how, how feelings can be an indicator of what's happening on our hearts, but doesn't have to be a dictator of what's happening in our lives. But we've talked about how what happens when it actually becomes a dictator in our life? What happens when that anger that you're feeling for somebody at work, you come home and you have that anger and it's dictating how you're living your life? How is that affecting you? How is that affecting the people around you? 
And so we talked about how sadness can be that way, anger can be that way. We talked about some of the uh, exhaustion. We did that in week one and, and loneliness and inadequacy and, and, and being offended. How is that sometimes a dictator in our life instead of just an indicator of what's going on in our hearts? Because both those things can be happening. And so we want to talk more about that. And we want to we ground it. Remember, we're grounding it in the truth of Jesus and that Jesus is seeing us kind of floating through with our feelings and where our feelings are taking us. And he's going, I don't want you to be afraid of those feelings, but let's ground those. And so we're grounding those. We looked at Hebrews 6.19, this, this hope, the hope that we have in Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And that's what we need. We need that anchor when our feelings tend to be pressing us on all sides and pushing us all over the place. So we want to talk through a little bit more, a couple more of these feelings we're going to unpack this week and next week, okay? So Father, I pray that, that you would be with us as we do this. I know that every time we talk about things like this, it brings up stuff in, in folks, and, and, and sometimes it's very acute. Sometimes this is speaking right to somebody right now, and others they can remember when, or they know when it's going to happen. But God, we pray that you would speak to us about what you care about in the midst of the feelings that we all have. So, so speak to each one of us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's a question. When I show this picture, what, how's your blood pressure? How many of you guys have been in that line? That's the line that goes through the security of DIA, and so it goes down all the baggage claims. Have you ever been to the one where you have to, where it's all the way on the other side of the baggage claim, and you go all the way through, and you're timing it, going, okay, I'm at baggage claim eight, and it took me 15 minutes to baggage claim nine, and I'm never going to make my flight? Have you, have you done that? How does your blood pressure feel at that point? Today we are talking about impatience. Today we're talking about just the waiting and the, and the how in the world, and will I ever get there? Will I ever get to what I want? Will I ever get to what I need in the timing that I need it? How about this one, you guys? Do you recognize this ever? Hey, what? Dot, dot, dot. How's the dot, dot, dot feel? How's that feeling? Here's, here's something Marisa and I discovered. We, we were talking about this about our spouses. We realized that me and Aisha are pretty similar, and Maurice and Jackie are pretty similar. See, Mo and Jackie, the way they text is they are informational texters. And so they just give information, and that's all you need. See, Aisha and I, we're conversational texters. And so we, pray, we text, and we expect to text back, and then we text again, and we expect to text back. Okay, when you have one that's a conversational person and one that's an informational person, there can be some struggle with your impatience. When I'm texting Jackie and, and we're in the middle of it and having a great conversation and all of a sudden there's a dot, 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 and then there's nothing. And I'm going, where did you go? And then an hour later, oh, hey, where were you? I was watching Harry Potter with the girls or I did the dishes. And, and I'm like, but we were in a conversation. No, we weren't. I just told you, I, you just told me that you landed. That's all you, that's all you did. Okay, there's an impatience that comes from that. And you just go, come on. We're in conversation here. Some of us are impatient with just cooking. How many of you guys set the microwave for two minutes, because that's what it says, to how long you should cook, and then a minute and 50 seconds into it, you stop it? Because you're going, I can't wait these last 10 seconds. The food's done or almost done. I mean, we deal with impatience every single day. Those are easy ones. Those are just frustrating little things that we deal with. We got hard ones that we deal with as well, you know. We got, you're, you're waiting on the doctor, the results from the doc, and you know it's Friday at about 510. And so now you're going to wait through the weekend for the results from the doc. 
How is that affecting the way you're living in your weekend? As you're waiting on the news. You got, you're waiting on love. And you've been a bridesmaid for 10 weddings. And you're going, when am I going to ever be the bride? And you're waiting. And how is that dictating how things are happening in your life instead of just being an indicator of what's going on in your heart? You're, we're impatient with our kids. Kind of waiting for your kids to, to turn the corner. <laughs> As if we ever turn the corner, but they're waiting. Come on, they're going to turn the corner soon. The kids are going to do that. And I'm, my kid's 28, 27, 24, and 20, and I'm still waiting for them to turn the corner. And you just go, come on. That impatience, it can start to dictate what's going on in our lives. We've all dealt with times where that's what's going on, and we're waiting. And what happens is it affects our relationship with other people, but it also affects our relationship with the Lord. Because then we go to the Lord, and we're praying to God, and we're saying, I'm bringing it to you, but when am I going to get what I want, especially when I want it? We're, we're saying to God, God, I think I believe in you, but do I believe in you? God, I think you care, but do you care? I think you're there, but I don't know if you're there. Here's where we start to get that crisis of conscience, the crisis of faith, of going, where are you, Lord? Are you there? That's where impatience can really, really start to dig into to who we are. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Impatience in itself is not a sin. Impatience in itself is a feeling that we have. It's just, what are, we, what are we doing with that? We need to be honest with those feelings. We got to be honest to say to God, your timing stinks sometimes. That's okay to say that to God. In fact, we see it in Psalm 13. The, David, a man after God's own heart, says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? Those are words from somebody. That's, he's presuming something that God's forgotten him, and he's looking the other way. He's dealing with other stuff, but not me. How, must, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? David's just being honest with God, and God's not threatened by that. He's just hearing David's feelings, his emotions. He's telling him, I'm, I'm an impatient. You know, when you, when you look at what the psychologists say about impatience, there's all kinds of stuff on that. There's, the, psychologists will look at it and they'll actually start to even put it into, there's these laws. There's, a, there's the law of indignation. It means that a person will become impatient when they feel like their goal has been blocked by someone who doesn't deserve to block them from getting what they want. So it's somebody that, that wants that promotion and then gets blocked by somebody else. And now, now there's a law of indignation that leads someone to impatience. They talk about law, law of, of loss aversion and loss, law of pre-commitment, law of choice. It means that a person will become impatient when they have to decide which goal or option is worth pursuing. And there are too many barriers involved in reaching any one of those goals. Any of you guys that lost homes, you know that feeling. You know that feeling of so many choices and things always getting in the way, something getting in the way of it. And so that law of choice leads us to an impatience. There's a law of opportunity costs. There's a law of opportunities. I can, if you want my notes later, I'll read through what each one of those are for you that helps, that gets us to a point of impatience. 
And when you read the self-help books around that, a lot of times, here's what, can, here's, here's what they'll say. And I mean, I wrote down a few of them that I saw. Here's some of the tips for dealing with it in the heart of our impatience. We need to sip a drink slowly. Okay, I want to know what's in the drink. Is that a, to drink it slowly? We need to massage your forehead or temples with gentle strokes. Distract yourself by thinking about other things, listening to music. Take deep breaths and count to 10 in your mind before reacting. You guys, all of those things, those things and many more that you see, they're all coping mechanisms that we can, we can how do we cope to get us to our destination that we're looking for? It's the coping mechanisms that we can get through so that we can get to the point that we say, okay, now I got what I want when I want it. Just try to relax till you get there. The Bible is so much different than this. God is, is on a whole different world than that. See, what's strange about God is that when all those times that you see in Scripture of people having to go through it, God almost cares more about helping them in it than getting to their destination. You think about the promised land. How much did God care about those 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness and, their, and, and how, much, how much impatience were there and God working in that before they even could get to the promised land. God, God is he's going, we're going to shift our perspective a little bit in this. There's a pastor scripture that I learned when I first became a Christian that, ha, that has... Um, has stuck with me. I have wrestled with it. I have been upset with God with it. I have cussed out God with it. I have been frustrated at times with it. I don't like it. And then other times I'm going, it is an absolute blessing to me. It is a, I'm so thankful for it. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5 and it says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He's these three words, in, do, time. These three words have been words that have been inspiring to me, words that have been frustrating to me, in due time. I've fought with this passage. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. It's already hard enough to, for any of us to get to a point of true humility and humbling ourselves to say, you are God and I am not. It's hard enough for us to do that. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in this ambiguous amount of time. In due time? There's times where I'm going, no, I want in Bill's time. I want it in my time, in due time. I'm telling you, this passage is one that challenges us because we have to first say, God is God, and then we have to wait on him. But here's where our problem is. We hear that, and it's in due due time, in God's timing, and our problem is we want to get to the dot, dot, dot. We want to get to... Okay, that's nice, God. So long as in the end, I get what I need when I want it. Right? We say, oh, I'm on your timing, God, so long as I get the financial breakthrough. Because I've been waiting on that and you know I need it. 
So long as I find that love, so long as I get that promotion, so long as I get that job, so long as I get into that school, we are, we are waiting impatiently. We say it, okay, good, that's fine, God, but just get me to the dot, dot, dot. Get me to here, please. This is what I need. And you know I need it. And that don't make sense. There's times where it's frustrating and it doesn't make sense, and this makes sense. I know what I need. I know when I need it. So we focus here. When God all along is going, and this is so strange about the Bible and God and the way he works, he cares so much more about our life weaving through these words than he does. He cares about the dot, dot, dot. He cares about what we're hoping for. He wants us to lift the desires of our hearts to him. But he wants us to be working in this space just as much. He wants to work in this space with us just as much or more than, than in that space. And we have to find what this looks like to live here. There's another word, a word that I was introduced to back in college. I was, I was going to church one day and, and the pastor of the church was talking to me, talking in something and he talk, starts saying some Greek words and I'm going, I don't understand those Greek words. And he says, man, and, and he loved breaking down the Greek words. And he said, the two words that I want you to hold on to is upomeno and hypomone. Upomeno and hypomone. He says, whenever you read perseverance in the Bible, whenever you read steadfastness, whenever you read, uh, it's, it's, a, it's perseverance, steadfastness, and um, what's the third one? Come on, I got to get this. I'm going to blame this one on CU. It's, it's, it's just it, patience. Jeez, Bill. <laughs> Endure, when you read endurance and you read patience, gosh, double overtime. Endurance, patience, and, and steadfastness. Anytime you read those three words, that's upomeno and hypomone. Upomeno literally means hang in there. It means hang in there. And so when you see James talk about blessed is the, is the person that perseveres under trials, for he who has withstood the test shall receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When you read that passage, and James, the brother of Jesus, is saying that passage, blessed is the person that perseveres under trial, that upomenos, that hangs in there under trials, that's a, that is a, 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 script, a piece of scripture that's about this. That's in due time. That's not talking about that. Blessed is the man that persevered under the trial, for he who has withstood the test all this time shall receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's even a bigger dot, dot, dot than what we were hoping for. God's care, God cares more about the bigger dot, dot, dot than even that. He'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Hypomone. When you see that word, it's, it means under and abide in. Under God abiding in him, under God, abiding in him. When you see perseverance, patience, and steadfastness, that's the other word that it can be. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. That's hypomone. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, under and abiding in who he is. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. As I have wrestled with this passage for 30 years, 
And as God has been teaching me through those years, some of the things that he's been showing me, one of them is this, and this is a really hard one to hear, especially when you're in the heart of your own impatience. God's timing is perfect. His timing's perfect. Now that doesn't, if you're in the heart of impatience, you're going, no, it's not. When you're in the heart of your stuff, you're going, his timing's perfect. No, his timing stinks. But what you tend to, to see over time, and this is why it's so good to have an older person mentor into a younger person's life, is because that older person that has a faith that stands the test of time can speak back to someone going, I know it doesn't feel like his timing is perfect, but it is. But if you would have asked Abraham and Sarah when they, when they heard that they were going to have a baby and it was 25 years later before they have that baby, if you're going to ask them in year 12, is God's timing perfect? They'd say, heck no. If you'd ask the, the, the people that were, that were taken from their families, the Jewish people that were taken from their families and, and spread out all over the place, and, and, and Jeremiah writes this, this passage in Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future, and you'll call upon me and pray to me, and when you, when you pray to me, I'll listen to you, and, and, and if you seek me, you'll seek me with all your heart. When Jeremiah writes that, those people that are spread out and they're thinking God's timing, they're going, okay, but we're in Babylonian captivity and we're going to be here for 70 years? But your timing's perfect? And what we miss is that that whole thing, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, is just, a, just as much about these spaces in between these words as it is for any of the dot, dot, dot that would happen afterwards. The plans I have for you, plans to prosper, not to harm you here and there. To give you hope in a future, hope here and there. Call upon me and pray to me and seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's an in due time statement. His timing's perfect, even though we might not see it. You know, the, 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 the hardest, um, I think, time in all the Bible around people waiting was what's called the, 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 the 400 years of silence that God had at the, in between the testamental periods, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Craig Rochelle, a pastor in Oklahoma, talked about this once, and I, it stuck with me. He was, he was saying, look, let's look back. He says in, in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, he says, from the, woman's, from, from the seed of a woman will come the person that will conquer sin, that will cut the head of the snake. That's, that's, in, that's in Genesis 3. And so that was the very beginning for the Jewish people at the time. That's the very beginning of them knowing the Messiah will come someday to save us, to save us from our own sin. They didn't quite get that and they started losing that, but that's what it was. From, that's what God set up from the very beginning in Genesis 3. And so all the Old Testament is a bunch of prophets that continue to, to help us get closer to that understanding of the Messiah is coming. In Isaiah, I mean, you see it all through Isaiah. It's what we quote at Christmas time. In Isaiah 7, it says a woman is going to give birth to a son and she's going to name him Emmanuel because he's going to be the Savior of, for all of us. And so that's continuing a prophetic voice. It's God reminding his people it's coming. You guys, that was 700 years before Jesus was born. So the minor prophets, that's what they call them. They have their major prophets and there's minor prophets in Scripture and they start talking more about it as well. And then finally, there's this point where the prophets stop saying, that God stops talking to the prophets and now they say it's this silent period where God wasn't doing anything for 400 years. 400 years. And then finally John the Baptist comes on the scene and then Jesus. 
and he lives and he dies and he rises from the grave and he conquers that sin. And this is what Genesis 3 was talking about. And Jesus comes, but they had to wait so long that they started to even forget. And then Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, he says, and you know what? That timing was perfect. We sometimes say God, is God, God doesn't know what he's doing. But as we humbly submit to him, we can look back and go, you know what? His timing is perfect. It doesn't make sense to me, but his timing's perfect. Second thing I grabbed hold of as I was looking at this is in due time, this word, do, it's such an interesting word, it's such an ambiguous word, do, in due time. If you're going to go pick up your date and, you, and, you, and she asks you, hey, so what time are you going to be here? And you say, uh, I'll be there in due time. That's not going to work, okay? That's not going to work. I'll tell that person they're not pursuing you very well and they need to give you a time. If you say, when are you going to get to the airport? In due time. That ain't going to work. You're going to miss a lot of flights if you're just going to try to get there in due time. But when do we actually hear this actually work in due time in, 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 in reference to timing? It, when's the assignment due? When's that assignment due? That is due. It's, it's, it's due at this point and that actually means that something needs to happen to get us to that point. You got to do the assignment. What else do you hear do? When do you do? Find out you're pregnant. My due date is. And you know, you think about that and you go, that means that when you're waiting for that day to come, something's happening. Something's growing. Something's growing inside. Arms and legs and feet and head and brain is, uh, is, is growing in those nine months. That's what we need to remember. In due time, something is growing in due time. God is at work. Now, sometimes he's at work with things around us. And we don't know it, but God's at work around us doing something powerful. Let's go back to those 400 years. This is why I love what Craig said about this. In those, those 400 years, look at Here's what happened in the 400 years. Alexander the Great becomes, becomes the ruler of the world. The Greek language becomes, goes all over the world. For the first time, the world has a common language. They still have their own language, but they're speaking Greek as well. There's a common language. The Romans take over. And in about, about 80 B.C. or so, the Romans take over. And now there's a period of peace. And so during that period of peace, as the Romans are taking over, they, they start to develop stuff, roads and, and, and cities and aqueducts. If you went to the Holy Land, you'd see all this. They, all, they, they, you, they just start to develop infrastructure. And then something else happens. The diaspora, the Jewish people are spread all over the world. Now, what does that have to do with what's happening when Jesus comes? Think about it, you guys. Jesus comes into the world and he starts sharing what he's going to do. And then he does what he says he's going to do. And then he lives and dies and, and rises from the grave. And people have this great news. Paul starts writing about it, sends off letters to Galatia and to Philippi and to Corinth and all the different places he sends those letters. We didn't have internet back then. There wasn't a phone back then. There wasn't computers back then. There wasn't TV. There wasn't even a radio. It had to get spread other ways. How did it get spread? Through a common language. It got spread because there was an infrastructure that allowed it to, to spread. It got spread because these people that have been waiting 700 years 
for the Messiah to come. The ones that believed in it were all over the world and able to tell it. Perfect timing. God doing something while there. Everyone called it the silence. It was the silence of God. It was 400 years where God just turned his back on it all. And God was doing something powerful for the perfect time when Jesus would come. We have to remember that. When you think that something's not happening, God might be doing something around you that's bigger than what you could have possibly imagined. That's what I'm preparing for as we move into this this next space for our church. Because there's been times where I'm going, in due time, God, come on. We've been at this for a long time with this building. What are you doing? Are you, what, you've been quiet? Do you not care? And all the headaches that we've had over the six years of, of trying to get, make that happen. And the whole time I'm just going, is God doing something? And is God creating something around us that we don't even see? And what are we all going to get to witness in the coming years when this, when this change happens and we're down there and what God might do in our place, around our place. God's at work even when you don't see it. We also got to remember sometimes we're not ready. So sometimes God's not ready for the dot, dot, dot. Yeah, he's at work doing something. Sometimes we're not ready and God's working on something on our hearts. When I came here to Colorado, In 1999, I started the college, I was doing the college ministry for the CU campus, the Annex, and, 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 you know, there were about 75 students there, and I came from a huge ministry, University of Washington, and worked for five years there, and I came down here, and I said, man, I just want tons, I want the students across this campus to know Jesus, and so I'm going, oh, we're going to create this ministry, we're going to make this ministry go, and I want it to be an influence across the campus. That was when I first came here in 99, but what happened over the next two or three years is I would go in and I would speak, and, if, and we started at 75, and if there was 110, I felt real good about myself. I felt, man, I must have really hit the mark last week. But if there was 60, I felt real bad about myself, and I'm going, holy smokes, did I, must have thro- I must have offended a bunch of people, because where'd they all go? Every week, I'm riding the roller coaster of, of numbers, and I started to realize that so much of my self-worth was based on how many people were showing up. I'm 32, 33 years old. I've got, I've got colleagues and friends that are doing ministry in other places around the country. And I'm going, gosh, what's, am I doing something wrong here? And everything was about me. Then a pastor came to me one day. Uh, it, he, was a, he was speaking at our conference, and, and, he's, and, he, and he's the pastor of, a, of a, like a 15,000-person church. And I picked him up from the airport, and I, and I said, hey, man, I said, what's it like to run a 15,000-person church? That's got to be so fun. And he says, Bill you got to bury that pride right now. He says, the minute you start putting your name on the marquee outside your building instead of Jesus' name, you have failed. That was a two-by-four across the head for me. That was a, am I doing that? And I absolutely was. My heart wasn't ready for my dot, dot, dot. God had some serious work to do on my heart. And over the next 10 years or so, especially with a psychologist friend of mine, Jim Raymond, that walked with me, we got to the point where I didn't count the house ever. And to this day here at Ascent, I've never counted the house. I got some people that do because it's always a good, not the only, but a good reminder of how we're doing as far as what we're, how, the influence we want to make on this community. But I don't do it. It's a, it's a, it's a, an issue that I know it could easily go that route. And I'm going, God, 
has changed in my heart, has changed my heart around that. Sometimes we're not ready. You might be waiting for that financial breakthrough, but God might be going, you're not ready. You're, I talk to college students about this all the time. Generosity doesn't start when you got money. Generosity starts when you don't. Because when you, got, when you get money and you didn't learn anything about generosity, you'll just figure out something else to spend that on. Generosity has to start when you don't have anything. And maybe your heart's not ready yet for, for it. Some of you, it's about love, and you're going, you're going man, I just want to I I love somebody. I want somebody to love me. But one of the things we talk about all the time in, in embracing our singleness is going, are we, are we first just saying, do you recognize God's got your heart? Before anybody else has an ability to step on it or break it or hurt it, do you recognize God's got your heart? And maybe, maybe that's some of the work we got to do first. So sometimes God's at work doing something we don't see. Sometimes God's at work in us because we're not quite ready. And sometimes he's just going, I just want this to be a space where we can hang out together. And I, wanna, I want you to know me so deeply that you almost even forget about the dot, 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 because this is so good. Sometimes that's what he's doing in due time. I got one more thing that I, that I learned from this. I love where it's couched. I love how in due time, where it's couched in this, in this, in this First Peter passage. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So many times when we're wrestling through these days, we wonder, does God care? Take it from the man that wrote this, that saw Mary and, and Martha crying over Lazarus' death, saying, you were way too late, God. And that Peter is looking at her and he's saying, I mean, that Jesus is looking at her and he's going, I've got you. And he cries with her. And then he rises, raises Lazarus from the dead. Peter's saying, man, he cares. When he sees that woman that had four husbands and was working on a fifth, and she wants so deeply to be just loved the right way. Peter's watching that. And he sees how Jesus walks along tenderly with her. And he's saying, man, that guy, he cares while you wait. When he, when he saw it himself, when he's when he had denied him those three times and Jesus went to the cross and then they had to wait three agonizing days. And then they come, he comes to the beach and he sees Peter on the beach and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? All right, then let's feed, let's feed this sheep. Let's go do this work together. Peter's going, man, he cares. And he has always cared. When we're living in the in due time, we gotta remember He cares deeply for us even when we're not getting what we want, when we want. This is why, you guys, this is why the same person that wrote, how long, Lord, 
that David writes, how long do I got to wait and you turn your back on me? 27 Psalms later can write this. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry. That's in due time stuff, you guys. He lifted me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and the mire. He's talking about this space, not that space. He's talking about this space. He lifted me out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground in between due and time. He set my feet on solid ground. And he steadied me as I walked along. He steadied me in this season. He's given me a new song to sing. I can worship the Lord while I'm waiting. A hymn of praise to our God. And many will see what he's done and be amazed. And they're going to put their trust in the Lord. Not because I got what I wanted, but because he met me in the waiting. This is speaking to me. It's speaking to me. I'm in these in-between due times. I share it with you guys all the time up here. And I got to remind myself that he's working in me and through me and around me. His timing is perfect, even though I don't understand it. Why, why, did, the, why did the snow come the day after the fire instead of the day before? I don't understand it, but his timing is perfect. And he's drawn me close to him and dang it, he cares for me. I have to remind myself of that and we do too. And we got to put our trust, humbly put our trust in that instead of what I want when I want it. Father, I'm going to pray that in the, in the, in, with, with these, with impatience, Lord, this is cuts to the heart stuff. There's people in this room right now that are in the heart of some really hard things that they're impatient about, that they just go on. It just makes absolute sense that it would happen now and it happened this way. It happened for me. God, I pray that every one of us would, would hold our hands out and, and let you be you we would humbly let you be you. We'd be under you and abiding in you. We'd hang in there. And then we would submit and say, we will humbly do this and wait for your due time. We will cast our anxiety on you because we know you, you absolutely care for us. God, I pray that that care would pour over us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.